a whole bunch of really ugly economic data today, and all around the world too, not just in one place or another. It seems as if the Chinese last weekend were onto something when they said, quote, changing economic landscape. Now the economic landscape wasn't all that good to begin with, so when they referred to a changing economic landscape, what they were saying is a bad situation, maybe it's getting even worse. And so we have economic reports from around the world that suggest the same thing, that the economy has turned a corner of sorts from maybe it's a recession, maybe it's not a recession, to now, okay, yes, this is a recession and potentially a bad one. Globally synchronized one too. That's what the Chinese were really talking about. And maybe a good place to start before we get into the economic data, the oil market. The oil market is the combination and confluence of all of these major factors. We've got supply, we've got demand, we've got money, all of those things, not just about the United States or one place or another. It really is a global, globally integrated, if not always synchronized system. And we look at oil prices today, they're back below $70 a barrel. In fact, at one point, they're almost as low as $67 a barrel. The front August contract is two months into Contango, actually three months into Contango. I think the three month calendar spread right now is negative. And the August contract, which is the front month, is only a nickel ahead of the December contract. So not only do we have lower oil prices, We've got lower oil prices where the curve is doing the exact opposite of what the inflation people are expecting. And then by inflation people, I mean those who are betting on a second half rebound. And a lot of that second half rebound was itself predicated on, of course, the Chinese. To give you a sense of what I'm talking about, let's go back to January. This is an article from January. As of this week, China has issued a combined 132 million tons of crude imports in two separate quotas for 2023. As of this time last year, the quota was only 109 million tons. China's oil demand is forecast to register meaningful growth from the second quarter as COVID infections begin to wane in bigger cities and as mobility returns to normal levels. Refiners may be able to tap into higher quota amounts by increasing output to feed energy demand. The oil market is closely watching China's comeback, though futures activity has been muted early this year due to factors including thin trading, yeah, right, a supply surplus, yeah, right, and concerns of a global recession. That was January, and it perfectly describes the setup that everybody has been expecting. China was going to reopen. That would boost everything, including outside of China, all around the world, Everybody would be happy and it would ramp up slowly so that by the time we got to the end of the second half of this year, at least in the oil market, given tight supplies and low inventories, there would be an, a, a lack of supply, a lack of available crude that would mean much higher prices and much higher prices because demand was going to hold up regardless of supply. But instead, we've seen the opposite, starting with China. This article comes from just a couple days ago. China National Petroleum Corp cut its forecast for the nation's oil demand this year as post-COVID economic recovery continues to disappoint. China's demand is expected to climb 3.5% to 740 million tons. A senior researcher with China, China National Petroleum Corp's Economics and Technology Research Institute said at a conference, that's below a March forecast for 5.1% growth in 2023. So 5.1% crude oil growth, now 3.5% crude oil growth in China, changing economic landscape since March. 
And we see this all over the place, not just in the oil market, in the economic data increasingly too. We thought that China reopening along with Europe, Europe rising sentiment was going to create a soft landing. And then the US labor market, which was incredibly resilient according to many, it was the ingredients for a, at worst, a short shallow recession. When more and more we're seeing that the short shallow trajectory toward recession may have turned a corner as the global economic landscape changes. So despite all of the upward prices or upward forces on oil prices, the upward pressures on interest rates from hawkish uh, central banks, as well as second half rebound in, in reignited inflation prospects, none of that is hitting the marketplace at all. And today's data tells you exactly why. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available where we go into the Eurodollar system, what it is, what it is supposed to do, what a reserve currency actually is, and why it isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing, and what that actually means. Eurodollar University also has research subscriptions, one that I contribute with marketsinsiderpro.com. That's a daily briefing. And I also do a daily deep dive analysis where we dive even deeper into all of these topics, money and macro, because they deserve to be dove deep into for how important they actually are, not just in terms of investing, but also economy, society, politics, all the big picture stuff too. All the information available for you, memberships and research subscriptions at eurodollar.university. China's changing economic landscape. It was changing in China, obviously, as China's National Petroleum Corporation uh, announced with its, re its reduction in estimates for how much crude oil, crude oil is going to be imported or even just used in China. But it, it goes beyond that. Again, I mentioned Europe. Europe was in major trouble, everybody thought, last year with the electricity crisis. Electricity prices skyrocketed. Consumer prices skyrocketed. Businesses were in trouble. There were concerns that Europe was going to run out of natural gas in particular and electricity during the winter. That didn't happen. And then sentiment began to improve as prices began to go down again. So you had an improvement in prices, rising sentiment, and the thinking was Europe was going to rebound. It had a very minor slowdown, maybe a recession, but a very, again, a very shallow one. And then it was going to be off to the races again, which the ECB is interpreting as we need more rate hikes. Now, while Europe, there is some data that shows that Europe did rebound or the economy did bounce a little bit in the early part of this year. But now we're seeing that that was more of an illusion, more of a uh, confluence of temporary factors like China reopening and then China reopening disappointing. But either way... Europe is heading back lower again, even though maybe sentiment is rising, which is a particularly ominous development. Today, S&P Global released the results of their flash readings for June 2023 Purchasing Managers Indexes. And they were, as I said at the beginning, exceptionally ugly. The manufacturing PMI fell to 436 from 44.8, so not already bad to begin with and, and falling fast. 43.6 is a 37-month low. The services PMI for Europe, according to S&P Global, that one fell to 52.4, all the way from 55.1 in May. That's a five-month low, but look at, the, look at how fast it's dropping just in June. And in June, 
changing economic landscape according to the Chinese. And if we assume, which we should, and I'll get to this in a minute, that S&P Global's version of service sector health, service sector conditions is somehow or some way optimistically biased, then 52.4 might be the best look at European services, which might be substantially worse. But either way, the combined result, the, the composite index for Europe, down to 50.3, just barely above 50. That's a five-month low from 52.8 in May. But the biggest thing that the uh, that S&P Global brought up in its press release for today was backlogs, 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 backlogs. You don't have a whole lot of new orders coming in. In fact, in manufacturing in particular, you've got fewer new orders and a lot fewer new orders come in, especially orders for export because this is a global trade recession. Whether or not there's an actual a full a full blown recession in these places, there is definitely a global trade recession going on. Again, China would know better. But either way, we see orders contracting, which means that companies are working through whatever orders they've booked up until this point. And when they reduce their backlogs or they work through their backlogs and there's no new orders coming in, that leaves you with a decision. Do you start getting rid of workers because you don't really have much work for them? Or do you hang in there waiting for the second half rebound that as we go further and further in time, isn't showing up and it doesn't look like it's going to show up. But here's what S&P Global had to say about backlogs in Europe. Backlogs of work fell at the steepest rate for seven months, reflecting the sustained, albeit moderating, output growth at a time of falling inflows of new work and have now fallen for three successive months. Backlogs fell at the sharpest rate for three years in manufacturing and slipped into decline in the service tech sector for the first time since January. Changing economic landscape. Chinese had this. They had it right down from the very beginning because they could see it in their own economy. And the reason why, well, let's get into those. The U.S. manufacturing PMI and the U.S. services PMI from S&P Global. Let's start with manufacturing. Manufacturing fell to 463 from 48.4. And this is what they had to say about manufacturing. Manufacturers recorded the faster rate of contraction in new orders, the fastest rate of, new, of contraction in new orders since December 2022, with weak demand limited to muted customer confidence. Some firms also noted that sufficient stock levels at clients had led to lower new orders, the inventory cycle. Similarly, foreign client demand remained subdued. Although easing from that scene in May, the pace of contraction in new export orders was steep overall. Again, confirmation, global trade recession is going on and global trade recession is definitely having an impact in particular for manufacturing. In line with subdued demand, firms sought to run down their stocks and reduce input purchasing in June. Input buying fell at the steepest pace since January and both pre and post production inventories declined sharply changing economic landscape. In this case, the inventory cycle that we've been worried about and been talking about very heavily since last fall, which was gently declining as businesses were making moderate adjustments to their goods flow, maybe they're starting to step it up a notch, getting into the terminal phase of the inventory cycle, which is probably what the Chinese were talking about in terms of their overall vast industrial base. But services. S&P Global has a much more optimistic take on U.S. services like, US, uh, like European services. 
Their services number, though, still fell to 54.1 from 54.9, bringing the composite down to 53 from 54.3. Because the services number is up around 54, which is not really a good number, it's just a better number than all the rest of the services data that we have. Because services at 54, the composite at 53, S&P Global says, well, the economy seems to be holding in there. And it's only holding in there if you look at services at face value, at least according to S&P Global. Well, there's all sorts of data all over the place, including more that we got yesterday from Chicago that that's gone in the complete opposite direction. That's gone in the same direction as everything else from oil prices to China's rate cuts to what we see in manufacturing. Talking about the Chicago Fed, the Chicago Fed's non-manufacturing index yesterday fell to, get this, Minus 52.2, minus 52.2 from around minus 30. So a huge decline in minus 52.2, by the way, that is the second lowest in the series. Now the series only goes back to around 2013, but still that's a decade of data. And minus 52.2 is only fractionally better than the worst number in the entire data series, which is minus 52.9 set during the worst of the lockdowns in April, 2020. Now, obviously, this is an extreme answer. This is an extreme result. We, wouldn't, we, didn't, we don't expect that services are actually experiencing the same sort of conditions as they were in April 2020. But what Chicago is saying is that, at the very least, it's not going well at all. And it's not going well getting worse all the time, accelerating to the down, changing economic landscape. So whatever S&P Global is thinking about services, Chicago's Fed is thinking the exact opposite. And the Chicago's Fed, unlike S&P Global, is not alone. Because the Richmond Fed numbers, as I've talked about, those are sharply recessionary too. Dallas Fed numbers, sharply recession too. The ISM's non-manufacturing PMI, that one is incredibly weak too. So S&P Global says services are okay, but what if services are not okay? We know the answer to that because we can see it in oil prices and rates markets and bond markets and curves and all of those things. Ugly economic data that all together suggest the economy really has changed. It really has turned a corner, changing economic landscape. It was weak to begin with, somewhat questionable recessionary to start. Now we're more moving into that last step, the worst step, the final phase heading into unquestionable recession. One final note here, let's talk about treasury bills because that's the other component. Remember the 2008 style scenario was always money and economy. Obviously we've got the bad economy in pretty much every place we look, apart from S&P Global Services numbers, everywhere else, ugly and getting uglier. But what about the bad money part? We haven't really talked about collaterals much in, uh, recently because, well, the Treasury Department has been issuing more T-bills, a lot more T-bills. Some people have said that too many T-bills, it was going to swamp the system. There would be no buyers. T-bill prices would plummet and T-bill rates would skyrocket. But we've seen the opposite because we know better. There's tremendous demand for Treasury bills, especially as collateral. And we even saw a scramble for collateral this morning at around 3 a.m., the four-week bill dipped from about 5.09% as secondary market yield down to a couple basis points around 5.06 by 4.30 a.m. 
but it was back up to usual around 9.30. So the typical normal, but not good, scramble for collateral pattern that we we'd observed before March and April. Remember March and April, we got these ex exceptional, extreme, not scrambles, but absolute collateral runs. And they remember how they struck during the US trading session, after 9.30, not before 9.30. Usually it's before seven, but either way. We had these during the US regular tra trading session where it wasn't just a few basis points, it was oftentimes 15, 20, in the most extreme cases was 50 and 60. So while we don't have that level of ex extreme uh, collateral problems, we can still see that there are under the surface. And there's also something going on in the secondary market I haven't put my finger on yet, because we look at the bill auction prices, they're well below the RRP, but secondary prices are say that rates are above. Uh, just for example, yesterday, the four-week treasury bill auction, the high was just 5.01, the median 495, and the low was 480. Even though treasury sold 70 billion of this instrument just yesterday, compared to 35 billion three weeks ago. So double the amount in three weeks, and prices have actually gone up and yields gone down because there is exceptional demand for collateral. It's still there ongoing under the surface even if we're not talking about the next bank failure, we still have monetary problems that will likely increase as global, global economic problems compound on top of them, especially when we get into commercial real estate, that's, that's still the next shoe to drop. So overall, Chinese were right. Changing economic landscape. The economy does seem to uh, have turned a corner in the United States, in Europe, in Japan, around the rest of the world, markets, Rates are hanging in despite all of the hawkish actions and words, US, Fed, ECB, England, Switzerland, Norway, everywhere. Central bankers are hawkish outside of China, yet markets are saying we're more worried about recession and deflation. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge, huge, huge thank you. Eurodollar University research subscribers, Markets Insider Pro research subscribers, and of course, close to my heart, all you Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.